Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Hey, thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 234. We're delighted to be with you wherever you happen to be. And with all of us today, our writer, two-wheel, and reporter, Brian Robinson. Greetings from my uh, undisclosed location. It looks nice there. Our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos. Uh, hey, good to be here. And the lady behind everything you see about us online, our online content coordinator, Jessica Ray. Thanks for having me again. It's a delight. All right, we got a lot to cover. Vehicles, lightning round, a viewer question that from uh, Donald, uh, rant and raves if we've got all. Oh, I've uh, got one, John. I'm, I'm locked and loaded with a rant this week. Good, good, good. Let's start with if, the, if, if this nameplate was a blockbuster summer movie, I can't imagine a publicist coming up with more ways to get everybody stirred up about it. We're talking about the return of the Ford Bronco brand uh, and then specifically the three models under two names, the 2021 Ford Bronco two and four door and the Ford Bronco Sport. Uh, what's the difference? The Bronco is basically truck based on a frame from the Ranger or at least based on the Ranger and the Bronco Sport is based on the Ford Escape. It's a unibody. Having said that, worth all the hoopla? Should Jeep be running for a cave? What do you all think about Bronco and Bronco Sport? And, you know, if you want to skew to one model or the other, that's fine. Open field. Yeah, I don't know if they're ever worth all the hype, but um, it seems legit. Uh, I love the fact that they went above and beyond making it an off-road uh, beast. You can get up to 35-inch tires on it. It's got a seven-speed manual with a super low uh, gear. It's got uh, every aspect that you judge it, uh, it beats the Wrangler, which is was their target. As and that's the Bronco two-door and the Bronco four-door. Correct. But I'm sure that Jeep has seen all of this stuff as we have. Yeah. And I'm sure they will have a response to it, which I'm also looking very much forward to. Yeah, I think Roberts or Robinson, you said it um, last podcast, but Jeep's kind of had their own market there for a while. And now that Bronco's back, it's nice to see some competition there. So competition always, you know, speeds up the gains in technology. And, uh, you know, if you wanted like a a fairly affordable off-road machine, really all your, your, your only option was Jeep. So uh, by all accounts, what I've seen of this Bronco, what I've read about it, I mean, it's it's serious and I, I like the way it looks i've never been a huge jeep person um so i just seeing this new bronco i automatically lean towards towards it uh, but i'm i'm excited Oop, i must have triggered siri somehow but <laughs> <laughs> i do it all the time yeah and supposedly they made the uh you know it's amazing enough they made the doors and roof removable you know clearly aimed right at the wrangler but supposedly it's easier to operate than wrangler they got better uh, thought out storage for them than Wrangler. So, I mean, it looks like they thought about everything. And even people like my wife who doesn't get excited about anything car related, uh, she wants one already. She's like, that looks so amazing. So. Yeah, there's a lot well, of people out there doing it. Go ahead, Jessica. Uh, well, you know, I, 
I am a Jeep Wrangler owner. So, um, you know, I have, I have a love for the, for the Wrangler, but of course I can't say no to competition. But what did you um, think? What did you think? Are you, you're the quintessential target for, <laughs> you know, what's going on with, with Bronco, with Bronco. I mean, so it definitely seems like they thought of things that Wrangler owners have been wanting. Complaining about? Like, not like when you take the doors off, you don't have any mirrors? Yes, exactly. I was actually going to bring that up because uh, if anybody has driven a car without any side mirrors, um, it's not fun. And also, it's not legal. Um, and so it also just adds more components that I think can go wrong you know what I mean so like for example I own a 2008 so there's like a ton of torque screws lining up the windshield and I don't even want to know what's like underneath those torque screws you know rust uh over time mm -hmm. because it's a 13 year old car so it's just I think more more components you know you you have to take off uh and and put something else on I think it just it's too complicated and the fact is, sometimes you're out and about driving your Jeep and you're like, hey, I want to take off the doors or it would be a perfect time to take down the top, something like that. Um, so the fact that the Bronco, you can take off all four doors and store them in the trunk, I think is awesome. I would love to be able to do that, mm -hmm. especially as a person who like, I live in... Um, you know, I've lived in apartments for a while, so it's not really ideal to take off a door, walk it upstairs, <laughs> and put it somewhere safe so it doesn't get mm. damaged. So I think it, it's actually very helpful for people who might not have, like me, like, the you know, a house where they can, like, put it safely in the garage. We've sort of thought about these, these things that will make it easier and then just put it, yes, yeah, a step above the Wrangler so people people really start to think more when they buy it. And not to shortchange the uh, Bronco Sport, uh, despite it being crossover, that's probably the one that's gonna sell. I mean- That's what I think. I mean, yeah. it's hard to say, but it'll certainly be more accessible to more people. And the fact that they're talking about basing the pickup on that one uh, seems even more intriguing to me. I think there's been spy shots from Europe for like a year now, them testing an escape-based pickup truck over yeah. there. Calling so, it Courier. They all thought it was going to be called Courier. Now it's Maverick, I guess. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. I think the timing is perfect for uh, a small, useful front wheel drive uh, utility pickup. There's probably going to be two pickups. There's probably going to be a, a Bronco based uh, you know, pickup, you know, something like the um, Gladiator, and then this uh, Maverick coming first out of there. Uh, the same plant in Mexico that's building the sport. You know, I look at the sport, and to me, it's Jeep, XJ, Cherokee, and Ford Explorer all over again. You know, okay, it doesn't have as as sturdy a frame, but the packaging, square, very useful, well thought out, lots of ground clearance. So even if all you're worried about is a little bit of mud and snow, you don't have a problem. Um, I unless it turns out to be very disappointing in some way. I mean, we know the power is going to be adequate. Uh, I think it'll be a big hit too. Yeah. Yep. The powertrains, I'm definitely excited for. I think they inspire a little bit more excitement than the uh, Jeep powertrains. 
And um, I guess the big question that everybody's going to be asking is, will there be a Bronco wave? Because there's already the Jeep wave where you pass another Jeep. <laughs> and, and will that wave extend not just from the Bronco, but up to the Bronco Sport? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's actually interesting because sometimes they'll see uh, gladiators and they have to do a double take. Like, oh, that also is a Jeep. I should do the Jeep wave as well because it's basically well the, the, the jeep wave, i guess i don't know the jeep wave doesn't extend to grand cherokees and no. cherokees does it? right it's a real no, no, regular no. wave really yeah there are no, but rules. We, yeah there are rules and <laughs> what i also find interesting about ford and what is i think is really smart is how um large a jeep culture is not just for the wranglers but for all jeeps um, I've been invited to my fair share of Jeep meets, of course. So, um, and the fact that Ford is is thinking and they're they're trying to push a, a community on the Bronco because, I mean, this is going to spawn uh, so much stuff. I can't wait to see all of the aftermarket parts that come out, how people trick these things out, and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. We know one. Uh one way that Jeep is going to counter some of the publicity already, and that's the, uh, their spy shots floating around of what they call the Wrangler 392, in other words, a Wrangler with a V8. So I suspect that's going to be their first counterpunch. I don't think it's an accident that this week we're seeing all these clandestine photos uh, almost totally undisguised. So. That would be a very Mopar move. Just throw yeah, some power it would be. It. it would be. All right, I think we've got a lot more coming. Uh, this, uh, you know, a lot of people want to know why they brought out Bronco and Bronco Sport now. And originally they were supposed to show up in, in March. Uh, I'm not sure if it was at the New York Auto Show or just before, before everything got canceled because of the virus. And these, as someone told in the industry told me when, when a new vehicle is being developed and the factory is being tooled, you can't stop it. It's, it's going to come. So they were kind of forced to, uh, to do this. And if we ever had a doubt on how a car company was going to do a mega launch without a big auto show, I think we just got a very good lesson. I don't know about you, but I must have had 50 emails about uh, Bronco. If you were on the West Coast, you were lucky enough to actually go out during that uh, some of the journalists here got to go out and actually be with them while they were shooting all that B-roll and, uh, and, and get to actually touch the metal. Uh, we're on the East Coast, so we, there was a small showing in Washington. Uh, that was about all we got. But still, from every angle, it looks pretty impressive. And now it's up to, uh, can't wait to, to we get a chance to drive them. Let's move on to another vehicle, which is totally different. And... Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Robinson, Nissan Aria. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> I should have probably looked up what some, some astute person said on YouTube, but this is Nissan's first crossover and it marks a uh, somewhat of a departure from the Leaf in that they're actually calling it a crossover where the Leaf was a hatchback, but it does have the traditional, more traditional shape of a crossover. Uh, they're hoping to get back at the top of their game. It's got two um, uh, choices of uh, power, 65, and I think 80-plus kilowatts. I could be wrong on the second one. But anyway, they're looking at 230 to standard 
more or less range and maybe over a little over 300 with the extended range model and two and all wheel drive. So uh, with that said, too little too late. Is it a serious player? After all, Leaf sort of started the mass market uh, EV uh, craze, if you can call it that. Yeah, think? I'd say it's perfect timing. I mean, they kind of were working towards it. They added all wheel drive um, a little while ago and now with this straight up calling it a crossover, I mean, it doesn't look that much different than the current Leaf. It's a little no. higher ground clearance, much bigger wheels. Uh, and you were right about the numbers, the 63 and 87. Um, I think it's perfect timing. Yeah, definitely not too little too late. Um, and I think the uh, extended range one or the, the highest range capacity one at 300, I mean, that's the mark. Uh, we've talked it's about one mark. Yeah, right. you know, we've talked about higher numbers, what will really convince people that this is a viable car, everyday car. But 300, I think, is, right, is, is the mark right now. You can sell an EV for um, between 30 and 40 grand. This is probably, I think, going to be closer to 45, probably. But around 300, uh, 300 miles of range. Um, and you get all the safety stuff with Nissan. I think they're rolling out their new semi-autonomous system. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to compete with Tesla, the Model Y. It's right in that range. Um, yeah. I don't think they're, people are really going to cross shop between the two because you have your Tesla fans and then you have your people who just want an EV for what they can afford. So I think it's exciting. It's great for Nissan. They really need something like this. And the fact that they're, you know, the Leaf is a good car. We all like the Leaf. Yeah. And uh, I think they're going to do a nice job with this one. Yes, anything? I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, we've talked about it so many times that cars are kind of going by the wayside and everybody wants something bigger. So I don't think it's too, too little, too late at all. It's, it's, it is good timing because if they didn't start offering it soon, then they would be way behind. I mean, we know SUV sales are, are up and, and I agree a 300 mile range is, um, is a good, is a good place. I mean, I get 300 miles on it uh, uh, when I, whenever I fill up my Jeep, you know? So for me, like that's sort of, um, uh, I think a good place for people who say might live right outside of metropolitan areas who are worried a little bit more about, you know, uh, fueling their EV. So um, no, I think uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to see it in person and to, to drive it. I think the interior looks kind of interesting. It's kind of like a cross between Leaf and the uh, Tesla Model Y. It's pretty clean with, with a fairly good size screen, not as big as Tesla, but still enough redundant controls to, to make uh, it, it feel comfortable for most people. It's interesting, in three years, that's three years ago when the Bolt came out, the benchmark was 200, now it's 300. And they're already talking about uh, the new uh, pickup from GM being 600. Uh, so we are accelerating the range rather quickly. If you are, this is something I, I occupy part of my time with, looking at used EVs. And a used 100 plus range EV now, just even two years old. Are, that probably cost uh, before incentives thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars. Their twelve and thirteen thousand dollar asking price on the uh, internet now, and this is from people like you know Carfax and Auto Trader, and I'm sure they are having a hard, very hard time selling them. But it's kind of interesting if you wanted to 
put your toe in the water and see if you could live with an EV as a, a city car, you can actually do it really, really cheaply right now. So, and I mean, I'm talking about vehicles with six, seven, eight, ten thousand miles on them, uh, selling for asking price a third of what they were new. So, yeah, there's a bunch here in our area of, of the Fiat 500Es. Yes, Granted, not the best EV when it came out, but there's a bunch of them floating around for like ten grand. Like you said, yep. uh, it was uh, contemplated it myself. One uh, one dealership bought bunches of them out of California and brought them back east here. And it, I saw one, I guess when they had most of them in stock, they were asking, it was $7,000 for, for something with like 10,000 miles on it. It was like ridiculous. Yeah, me but too. Back, but back to the Nissan, the yeah. screen's not as big, but it is uh, more traditional, you know, horizontal, not the tablet. And right. it's, very, it's the, very similar to Mercedes twin screen system where they got the center kind of blends right into the gauges, which I think is fabulous. Yeah, I thought it was a very nice looking interior. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to, it's interesting, you know, they did the concept and they're even calling this one that they've shown sort of a concept. So we're not, we don't know what we're going to get here exactly. They're going to start selling it in Japan first. I think it'll be sometime next year before we see it, but I, I'm pretty impressed. More traditional, something you can buy right now. Uh, why didn't they do this sooner? The 2020 Honda CRV Hybrid. Uh, great vehicle. We all know it's a great vehicle. You turn around and now make it extra fuel efficient. Uh, again, why do you think they waited two years plus after they already launched it elsewhere? And is it worth the extra money? Mr. Robinson, I'm going to turn to you first. Oh, those are all uh, very big questions that I don't have great answers for. Um, but I know that they wanted to build it here, so it took them a while to upgrade their uh, Indiana plant to build them here. I, know, I don't know if that was really uh, the reason or not, but I do know it was part of it. Um, it's interesting to me that um, the RAV4, Escape, uh, all three of them are available as hybrids. Uh, all three of them, I think the hybrid is my preferred version of them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but they're all specs, they're all so similar. Um, this is the same system that's in the Accord hybrid. Um, so it, uh, it wants to run off of the electric motor as much as possible uh, with the gas engine being kind of a generator. So like the old Volts. Right, so it's different than the Toyota system, but I felt uh, it was very similar to the Toyota. I still may like the Toyota a little bit better, um, but uh, I, thought, uh, I thought it was great. And it's, like you said, it's about time. Yeah, um, I agree with Robinson. I think I like the Toyota better. Um, I like being in the CRV better. I think uh, it's a little nicer, um, laid out better. It just it feels a little more upscale. But driving it, I give the edge to the RAV4 hybrid, um, especially at highway speed. I mean, I was driving around the Beltway, and I guess like all speed limits are off now in quarantine state because <laughs> I just, I couldn't keep up with people. So I was trying to, and w which uh, I was able to realize that the, you know, at seven, around 70, 75, the, uh, the RAV4 is just a little bit better. It doesn't, it's not as loud. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's trying to keep up like the CRV was. Um, so like I said, I'll, I'll give the edge there to, to RAV4, but as far as, uh, style and interior, I think it, it does go to CRV. And I guess maybe I was a little bit 
a little bit disappointed because the CRV hybrid won green car of the year before it was even out. Yeah. And I just assumed it was so great. It had to win by default. Uh, so it didn't live up to my high expectations, but it's still a very good hybrid as you'd expect from Honda. Jessica, are you at all in, you know, at, you're about as far away from hybrids as you can get with that with a Wrangler. Yeah. <laughs> and, but at the same time, you're of the generation that's going to be seeing more of these probably than internal combustion engine vehicles in your lifetime. Are you intrigued at all? Definitely. Um, I think, you know, owning a Jeep, um, it's a very, it's, it's not practical. It's not meant to be practical. So meant to be fun. And have, it's meant to be fun. And it is fun. It's very fun. In the summer months, it's so fun. In the winter months, not so much, especially because I have a soft top. But um, <laughs> so when, you know, I'm thinking about my next car, because keep in mind, my Jeep is uh, almost 13 years old. When I'm thinking about my next car, I'm thinking about something practical, something that if it's a daily driver, I'm going to get good gas mileage. I don't have a long commute, but I do drive a lot. Um, so as gas prices will continue to rise, people want more fuel efficient cars. And um, I think it's kind of why you see a lot of, uh, a lot of, I know a lot of people who lease them. And so there's actually a ton of uh, CRVs and RAV4s available, say, on the used car market, you know, three, two, three years old with relatively low mileage. That's sort of the sweet spot, I think, for a lot of young people in my generation who can, who want to go for the hybrid, because it, it tags a little bit of a premium on it. Um, not that much. But not that much, but I mean, cars are expensive, you know, just in, in general. So buying used, I think, is where for a lot of these hybrids, because you can also get, you know, a nicer trim level if you, if you buy used too as well. Um, so it's definitely something you, you will see younger people uh, wanting to buy. I mean, there's a reason why so many, I, I know so many people who drive Honda Civics for that specific reason, because mm -hmm. it's small, affordable, gets good gas mileage, it's practical. Um, so these practical cars they sell, I mean, the RAV4 sells so many, I mean, almost, I think a mil, is it almost a million unit? No, they sell. It's, it's number one in its class. So. Yeah, they sell, they sell a lot of RAV4s. So, so practicality will win, I think most of the time, but definitely people will be very intrigued with hybrids as we, you know, move along and see them more often and likely, you know, with, for example, the Venza, which will only be available as a hybrid, this is the future. So it's, I think it's exciting. In regards to the price, it's about $1,200 over a comparable non-hybrid, uh, but it comes with all-wheel drive standard, uh, the hybrid model. And it is, this is the first time that any Honda hybrid has had all-wheel drive available. So uh, that's unique. And uh, it is the fully mechanical system, unlike some that have just the electric motors in the back. There is a drive shaft going to the back. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a pretty cool system overall. 
$1,200 is usually just the price of jumping up to all wheel drive anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Now I, I like the visibility out of it. I wish it had, I sort of wish it had some of the controls on the inside of, of the RAV4, but we need, Brian hit it on the head, the, we, the, the compact SUV market, hybrid market is probably the most competitive hybrid segment, uh, out there because you can throw in the Tesla Model Y in that too, even though it's more expensive. So um, if you're interested in, in a hybrid, it's actually probably the preferred way to go. You get utility, the fuel economy and everything. So, Well, that brings us to our lightning round and uh, we want to get everybody's opinion uh, in uh, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever it works out to be. And this also is a uh, pertains to Honda. And Jessica, I'm going to start with you. Uh, here's the, uh, the issue. Honda has decided to do away with some of their models because the SUVs are selling so well. Uh, I'm sad about this. They're doing away with the Fit subcompact completely after the 2020 model year in this country. Uh, also, the Civic Coupe is going, although the hatchback is staying. Uh, so the entry-level vehicle for Honda is now going to be the HRV subcompact utility. Uh, have they gone too far? Are they doing, is the timing right? Was it just a matter of time till they made some cuts like this? We all know passenger car sales are waning. Volvo is, has shut down its Charleston, South Carolina plant because uh, uh, there's a, a lack of demand for the sedan they're building there, among other problems. Uh, so. From your standpoint, Jessica, as SUV owner, would you would you have an, even have considered a sedan or a coupe? Definitely, definitely yeah. consider a sedan. Um, but compact sedan, not so much. A sedan, you know, maybe an Accord, Civic. I I sort of need I need space. You know, you never know what you're going to run into. So um, <laughs> so I need a little bit more space so fit um, would have never been on your radar no likely not i'm pretty, much, I'm I'm also, pretty sure you can put more stuff in that fit than you can in your wrangler so <laughs> <laughs> probably probably it is it is a little deception the back, perception the back of the wrangler but for me also um i'm small i'm like five feet tall so i don't feel comfortable sitting so so low Mm. on the ground um i just feel like i don't have enough visibility um but larger sedans and crossovers um i feel more comfortable and safer driving actually personally the fit has more space than i think a lot of people give it credit for and it's just a general better car than a lot of people give it credit for i i'm with you john i'm kind of upset the fit's gone i don't care it's so much fun. about yeah, I don't care so much about the Civic Coupe, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but everything makes sense. Um, you know, I think it is a little bit too soon to get rid of that fit. Um, the HRV is now the entry point into Honda subcompact. So I don't love it, but I guess I'm going to have to live with it. Yeah, I would tell you a slightly uh, different take. As much as I do like the fit, uh, having it and the HRV was kind of redundant. Yeah, uh, people come up. Oh, I can't get all the driving the fit. All right, well then I'm getting an HRV. So I could totally understand that. I'll probably miss the Civic Coupe more. I mean, um, it's just been an awesome car for many years. I've been the 
foundation for a lot of really cool cars. So uh, I guess they'll all be on the hatchback now, which is okay, but uh, I'll miss like a really high performance uh, Civic Si coupe for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. But, you know, um, we're on the verge of seeing quite a few nameplates not offer any cars at all. And actually, the, um, the uh, Japanese and the Korean brands have been better at keeping sedans in their lineup because they're more globally uh, produced uh, than, than the domestics and even some of the Europeans. So, Okay. We have a viewer question from Donald that I alluded to at the beginning. Why is it that the right front wheel always seems to have the most brake dust? Any comments? Um, well, generally, uh, the front brakes are used more than rear brakes, so I can't always speak to the right one being dirtier, uh, but the, the front ones are almost always dirtier just because they get more use and they're they, uh, you know, that, that's where most of the braking power is going to. But um, if you do see it a little bit more built up on one wheel than the other, then that could be a sign that your caliper is not releasing like it should. And it's just dragging on the, uh, the rotor. You mean it's you know, not because we just tend to turn right more than we turn left? I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't say for sure. We should talk to, to Pat Goss about that one. But usually I think it's the simplest thing where it's just, you, you got something dragging there. Or it could be a sign that you're a Republican. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> now let's keep politics out of this. <laughs> Everything right, is not political. All right. I think it is. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's a good way to tell uh, side sidebar it's a good way to tell like if you pay someone to rotate your tires and you, you show up and your front wheels still have more brake dust on them than you paid them and they didn't rotate your tires but that's a sidebar and other sidebar you should clean it off <laughs> don't leave it on there. oh yeah it'll tear up your wheels yeah it will jessica you just said you just got a a brake job on your wrangler and you've got dust everywhere yeah um yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty notorious for uh, not wiping it off in a timely manner because no matter how much water and rain and you drive in, no. it, it doesn't go anywhere. That won't um, do it. You, you've got to do cleaner. It's, uh, I feel like are we uh, sponsored? I, I've got a pickup truck that, huh? I just feel like we're sponsored by Wrangler now. I'm not. Sure. I feel like it's going off a lot. Of Hold on. Let me well, we see. Have, well, you know, we had to balance out the Bronco, all the uh, hoopla. Right. So, you know. Jessica, can we get a uh, camera on your on your uh, Wrangler so we can include it in the podcast? I feel like it deserves its own <laughs> box. Here. I I will I will send you some Fifth some pics star. of it because I have to walk so. downstairs and to a parking lot. But I, I'll, I'll send you some pics of it. That is a lot of effort. That we appreciate you going through. through yeah, I, you know, I, just my job. <laughs> you did touch on something that's an important piece of advice to everybody. You really do need to clean off your wheels with, if nothing else, a, a brake uh, dust cleaner or some kind of detergent uh, quite frequently because it will, it is a corrosive. Uh, dust that will eat through the thickest coating on any wheel. I've got a um, an old pickup truck that I've been very neglectful about doing that, and it's you know it's absolutely a case in point on how ugly the wheels will look 
if you don't clean the dust off, you let it build up and you finally clean it up and it's like, it's too late. So uh, if you want to make sure your wheels stay look nice and clean, clean them off. Every time you wash that car, get some uh, brake dust cleaner or detergent and do the wheels by Sounds hand. Like need... Spraying them doesn't work. Sounds like we need pictures of that as well. Well, it's, it's an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> All right. The people want to know, us, John. Yes. What? <laughs> the, the people. The people want to know. Oh, it's an it's a 2003 Ford Ranger. It's a, it's it's my uh, little workhorse, and it's a great little truck. Uh, I just put new side steps on it, so I'm. Uh, but it had painted um, mag wheels on it, and some of the paint's gone because of the brake dust. It doesn't have a. It's low mileage, so it's like less than forty thousand miles, and I've had it for a long time. Wow. Now, time to our uh, segment of the, sh of the uh, podcast a lot of people look forward to, uh, our rants and raves. Uh, anything got something, uh, anyone have something on their mind they would like to rant or rave about this week? Yep, I'm ready. I finally have one after getting out of the house a little bit more often now. So I was in the Buick Encore GX, which is the extended one, one of our test cars right now. And I was driving home and there was a pickup truck in front of me loaded full of junk. And eventually a table fell off with that was still connected to the ratchet strap. So it was being drugged and thrown around. Luckily I was far enough back and it wasn't too much of an issue for me, but there were people behind me. So in that situation, I, my first thought is, well, let's throw the hazards on because people got to know things are screwed up up here. Uh, problem was I couldn't find the hazards and I've been in a million different cars and I'd like to think I know where hazard lights are and I can find them if they're not in the same spot. Couldn't find it. I went through, you know, 10, 15 seconds of trying to figure it out and trying to pay attention to the road at the same time. Couldn't find it. I mean, the whole situation was gone and I couldn't do anything about it. I felt bad, but I couldn't find them. Uh, turns out that it was all the way on the passenger side of the screen and the uh it's blended into the piano black you couldn't even see it and i you know i i realize we're in different cars uh but the hazard lights are a, a a button that not many people use all the time but it needs to be front and center and visible especially for buick owners let's not pretend what buick <laughs> is not, you know what i mean it's an older crowd they need easy, to be able to see it easy. and let and let let's start you know, let's, let's contrast it with the Fiat 500X that I'm in right now, the long term. It is dead center of the dash. It is contrasted. It's bright orange, and you can see it, and it doesn't make the interior look any worse. Because when you need it, you need it instantly. Right away. It needs to be right on the – even the column ones on the steering wheel column, those aren't good. It's got to be right dead center of the dash, and that's my rant. That's a good one. That's a new one. I agree. I agree with that actually a lot because I've – sort of run into a similar problem when we're testing a bunch of cars and uh, there was this part of my apartment complex that if I was dropping stuff off, I would always put my hazards on so somebody wouldn't tow me um, just in case. And you spend like minutes ser sometimes searching because you're used to a hazard in a certain place Mm -hmm. and from your own personal vehicle and then so you're sort of expecting it to be there so when it's out of that place it's almost like you really can't find it and I actually remember when I was taking my driver's test you have to test all of your lights and everything 
Um, and so you have to test your hazards. And I remember being so nervous that I just could not find the hazards in the vehicle I was taking the test in. So I agree with Greg. I think that like hazards have to be front and center, especially because the the time that I've used the hazards the most is in rain. And you already you already are like you can't see anything when you're driving. Right. So you want something to just be there so you just click it so you are as safe as you can be. Take yeah. that interior designers. Yeah. Brian, no, no uh fast comeback. <laughs> Uh, no, I got nothing. I, I oh. just, no. So he, I thought he was going to give me flack about getting into a car and I should know where everything is before I ever leave the parking lot. But no, because I'm, yeah. yeah I'm, well, well, my argument to that is, is that every car is sometimes the start buttons up here. Well, sometimes it's down here. The, yeah. the, the, uh, you know, the, win the windshield wipers are on a stalk. Sometimes they're down here. The lights are on a stalk. Sometimes they're down here. So I have a million other things to figure out before I can get to the hazards. Yeah, I wasn't going to give you a hard time at all. I just was surprised we didn't hear about where they are on the Wrangler. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you actually at this moment. <laughs> oh! Well, uh, you know, I don't you know. know, I would say everybody, you're supposed to read your owner's manual, but half the cars don't even have one anymore. So, Okay, uh, that thanks everybody, and I think that sort of wraps up our Motorweek podcast number 234. Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, Jessica Ray, thank you all very, very much for uh, just doing a terrific job today, as you always do. And by the way, everybody out there, be sure to catch Motorweek on your local public television stations, also over on the Motor Trend cable channel. Uh, thanks to Jessica, you can find us uh, just about everywhere on the internet. We have a big YouTube channel, youtube.com slash motorweek. Um, we're pbs.org slash motorweek. If you've got a screen, whether no matter what type, uh, you can find Motorweek. And thank you all for reaching out to us for this podcast and for the show. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Let me just say, be safe out there. And thanks for being a part of Motorweek. Oh, whoop, whoop, wait, 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 wait. I forgot to thank the people that actually make it possible for you to view this podcast. Jim Bigwood, our audio engineer. Greg, of course, is our podcast producer and podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Thanks, gentlemen, one and all. Thanks, lady and gentlemen. We'll see you next time on Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com and rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motorweek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.